Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I'm going to tell you, I, I did something bad the other day. I got in an argument with my old Russian lady neighbor. And, and it goes back. We have bad blood because she's lived in my building for a long time. And her husband's so nice, but she never smiles at me. I always say, how are you doing? She's always mean. And we had a big fallout uh, last Christmas, a little after, because I, I follow, I live in Burbank, and it said, recycle your tree, put it on the street, right near your alleyway. So that's what I do. I drag it out, and she lives in the alleyway, and she started yelling at me that I couldn't put my tree there. And I said, no, you know, if you follow it, I'm not going to put it in a dumpster. So we're going back and forth, and finally I just told her to ep herself. And I shouldn't have done that, but it was like, this is where the tree goes. I've lived here a lot longer than you. So the other day, my friend Bobby was in town, and we had a few drinks, and we came back to my place, and we, uh, we were sitting there, and Joanne was out of town. So, we, you know, we, we were having a fun time. And uh, she and her friends just were sitting on the corner because I sat in the back of Bobby's pickup because her friend David was also in a truck. And uh, she started giving me, like, this, these dirty looks, and they just these old ladies, they just sit there, and they just judge. And one gets up and sweeps the leaves off the street. And, and it, it just, my head snapped because Joanne's so nice to everyone. And Joanne was walking through the courtyard one day. And she said hi to the lady and her mean Russian friends. And this lady looks like a crab. And she sat there and she ignored Joanne. And Joanne's like, I can't believe this. So I started yelling at him, telling me, stop judging people. And I don't think they understood me. So anyway. <laughs> well, that's the problem. I, uh, You're speaking English. Exactly. Speaking My Russian. guess is Peter Breitmeyer. How you doing, Peter? Hi, how you doing, Steve? Now, you're, now your name is what you're, because you moved on. What, what is your descent? My descent uh, on my dad's side, uh, which is the Breitmeyer side, is uh, like Garmisch Partenkirchen, Germany, like Bavaria there. Okay. And then on my mom's side, it's Welch and uh, 116th Lakota Indian. Okay, so you're 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 like me. You're a mutt. Like I'm, yeah. in, I'm English, German, Austrian, and Yugoslav. And Welch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say Welch. I said Welch. Yeah, there's, and there's a bunch of other little things in there, I think. But mostly those are the three. Yeah. Now, now you were, now as a kid, I know you were born in California, mm-hmm. and then you moved to Minnesota. Yeah. Now, did you always want to act as a kid, or what took you down this path? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I did the thing. I was an insecure little kid, and in middle school, uh, because you know, I accidentally scored a goal for the soccer team of the other team uh, in a game, I, which was incredibly humiliating. I decided I should do something else, and uh, I auditioned for Little Mary Sunshine in seventh grade, you know, playing the uh, the Canadian Mountie, and. <laughs> And it sort of just went from there. But I never really, I didn't grow up thinking, I grew up thinking I would be the president. Okay. And uh, and it turned into, maybe I'll be an actor for fun in high school and in college. And even when I got out of college, I didn't really think I was going to be able to be an actor because nobody really can be an actor and make a living as an actor. So I thought I'd, you know, I got some internship job at the Illusion Theater in Minneapolis in the development department thinking I'll go into you know theater administration because that's where the money is you know and then they asked me to audition for a show and then I did that and it kind of rolled from there but yeah I mean I actually started at Dudley Riggs Brave New Workshop with Mo Collins like two months after her so we've kind of known each other since we're 23 years old. Now what was it like as a kid though moving from California to Minnesota I mean, the shock. it was really a big shock. I mean, I grew up in Monrovia, Arcadia area. And when I was about 11 years old, during the worst part of my mom and dad's marriage, when things were crumbling, my mom came out and she had her first partner was a raging alcoholic. And her second partner was a, a minister at a, a, a gay church here in town called MCC. And that woman, we moved in with her at Highland Park. And then she got transferred to Minnesota to be a pastor at the church there. And she kind of looked at my mom and said, well, I'm going, are you guys going to come? You know, and we, my mom packed us up and left my dad here in Monrovia and we took off from Minnesota. And, you know, at that age, the thing you're most concerned about is ticks and tornadoes. Right. Cause that's, what's different about Minnesota. Like, you know, it's going to be cold, but you've never experienced that kind of cold. So you're sort of like, well, yeah, cold is one thing, but there's ticks all over the place and they have tornadoes there. And those are the things that you're kind of preoccupied with. But, now, what part of Minnesota was it? It was, uh, you know, the southern suburbs of Minneapolis. We moved to Apple Valley first and then I went to Rosemont High School. We, we lived in Egan. We lived, my mom lived in Farmington for a while, but mostly like uh, Apple Valley, Egan area. Well, know. the thing about Minnesota is the unbearable like... whiteness of Egan. Yeah. We refer to this. <laughs> now, now, where did you go to college at? To college at a small Lutheran college in St. Peter, Minnesota called Gustavus Adolphus College. 
I couldn't. I can you even buy shirts with that. I, I couldn't yeah, even, you can. They fit it all on there. I couldn't you know, even spell. They used that. to have a contest in the in the paper in the in the student paper for who every week they they put a thing in the paper as to who received in their junk mail the most unusual bastardization of Gustavus Adolphus College. And you know, one week it was God save us all of us College, and then <laughs> it's just you know it was. But you know, it was a good school, and I think. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, some people belong in a big, huge university and they well, they want to be a number because they came from maybe a family background that was a lot more controlling. There's a lot more, you know, like my wife, for instance, you know, her mom was really loved her mother to death, but she uh, was very sort of controlling person. And my life was sort of chaotic as a kid. So I kind of wanted to go someplace that was a little more safe where I could blossom, you know, in freedom in the in the confines of a skeleton that felt secure. You know? Well, you know, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I went to a small I went to a small school because yeah. I had to pay two years of my college and it was a state school in New Jersey. Yeah. But the school I went to was called it was funny because when I went there it was Stockton State College. You know, mm-hmm. I graduated in eighty six. Now it's Richard Stockton University. Okay. And the difference is when I went there it was thirty two dollars and fifty cents a credit. I think it was five thousand dollars <laughs> to live on there for the whole year. Live on campus and have the meal plan. Wow. Now it's like twenty thousand a semester. But yeah. it was this little school. It was started by hippies on the boardwalk in Atlantic City, and it was in the middle of, it was, in the middle of the Pine Barrens, New Jersey. So the campus was upon itself, and there was like, maybe twenty two hundred kids that lived in school, and it was great because everyone who went there, it's like I don't know, it was a certain vibe, you know, and it's cool. And you really, I grew a lot there. I yeah. mean, I mean, I was in student senate. I was very involved in that. I did a contest called Mr. Stockton as a joke. I did a Rick Springfield air guitar, first time ever on stage. <laughs> and you could do stuff like that. So yeah. it really gives you a grounding and gives you I felt so I mean I you know, Pete Krause went to school with me. We were we graduated the same year, the guy that was on six feet under, I'm sure you might know who he is. And you know, he I, I don't know what kind of I mean, we've talked about it. He had a little bit different experience than I did, but you know, my wife went to the same college that I went to but five years apart. So we weren't there at the same time as just coincidentally, you know, she was a friend of my sisters when she was a kid she went to the same high school same college but we never really knew each other growing up necessarily but she had a terrible time at Gustavus didn't like it you know drank too much you know was a communications major wasted her time but I made every use of it and I I never felt any sort of confinement there I always felt like it was a great place to so you know I did a lot of shows I did like it was in choir you know we went to the Soviet Union and toured there Poland you know Czechoslovakia was amazing and I, I, my degree was in theology and history, and I was going to go to like Chicago Theological Seminary and become a professor or something. And a week before I left school, I thought, I don't want to do that. I want to be an actor, you know, And a, but I just don't know how to make that happen, you know. And so it was, you know. Well, I, well you went to Minnesota. In Minnesota, I mean, I know had a, has always had a very hip comedy and music very, scene. Yeah. I mean, the replacements, some of my favorite bands are from Minnesota. Yeah. You know, Prince is from Minnesota. Yeah. The comedy clubs. I think Jackie Cation's from Minnesota. Yep. There's different people. Maria and, Bamford. Yeah, so that must have been know. good for you when you. I mean, I know you just said you were going to go into the back part of the theater, like the the. Well, that's because I was afraid. I okay. was a big scaredy. You know, I I didn't. I really obviously I really wanted to be an actor, be a comic actor, be do like my dream was to work at Dudley Riggs Braden Workshop, which is basically second the second city of Minneapolis. It was started in like 1955, even before Second City was, and you know, uh, Al Franken's out of there, uh, Pat Proft. You know, there's a lot of people out here that are writers and who people have been on stage, you know, and, and Mo, of course, you know, um, Melissa Peterman, she's on ABC, you know, she's on that ABC family show, Baby Daddy. She was on Reba and stuff. She's out of there, too. And so, you know, when I started taking classes there, then they asked me to be in the resident company. And that was it. You know, like once I did that, I thought, well, I, I could stay here forever. I'm 23. And I think, you know, this is this is the, the shit right here. You know, so that was uh. That, that that town was so vibrant with, you know, theater and music and everything. And there was a lot of opportunities insofar as a town that size. You know, the Guthrie's there and Chan Essen, and then there was all these great theaters, Penumbra and Illusion Theater and all these things. And now it's just incredible. Like, you go back and the sensation you have, like a friend of mine and I have always laugh about this and we go back to visit Minneapolis because we always think, you know, how did they go on without me? Right. You know, like, how did the artistic community continue without my input? You know, but it's just all these fantastic young people who are doing amazing things, you know. And uh, like you mentioned before, we were on the air, you know, this one show I did for years off and on called Triple Espresso was developed by three guys out of there and it eventually got franchised, not franchised, but they sort of multiple casted it and they would run it in 
num in numerous cities simultaneously. So I've done it in like Dublin and Portland and Minneapolis and San Diego. Started doing it in San Diego, and it's just a funny show, you know. Um, but a lot a lot of great artists come out of that city. Did and, you do triple espresso in Minnesota? Uh, from time to time, I never did it along. I would fill in for like the original creator. There were three guys that created it, and I did just I did the role of the guy at the piano playing, you know. And as you mentioned that you saw it, it's it's just a goofy show, but it's a lot of fun. I saw know? yeah, I saw it in San Diego, God, 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. I lived right around the corner. It was like I don't I think I may have got it because what's cool about San Diego? I don't know if they still do it. I lived in a gas lamp when it first started becoming cool sure. I, wait, I waited tables at planet hollywood yeah yeah and right in horton plaza they used to have a uh theater appreciation day so you could give however you much wanted to give for a ticket so i would uh, you can get three sets of two so i yeah. always i give like five a ticket i'm not gonna be like someone going oh i can give you a dollar for three sets because sure. that's a dick move <laughs> but i remember i I'd, I'd, I'd always walk by where you guys were and it was that theater right in downtown san diego yeah the horton grand yeah there. it was and we lived right across from our loft, one of our loft entrances is right across from the Horton Grand. Mm -hmm. So I'd always walk by there, go on the Cost Plus or whatever, and I I always would see the sign, and then I'd read reviews, and it was great. And I went, and it was a phenomenal show. I mean, it was, it was as you said, it was just fun. Yeah. Now, what? Well, first of all, before we talk about that, when did you decide to leave the Minnesota, and how did you end up in San Diego doing that show? Well, I, I actually decided to leave Minneapolis in '96 when my friend Dan Schmitz was producing a production, doing a production of The Bad Seed, a send-up production of The Bad Seed that he wanted to bring out here. It had been done numerous times in Minneapolis, and uh, we caravanned out here, leaving January 2nd, you know, 1996. It was you know 20 below or something like that. I had a VW bus, freezing hands, feet, you know, and we all drove out did this production and it was a smash hit out, know, here. Went out here yeah at the genesius theater it doesn't exist anymore in, in west hollywood and they've done it since they did it at the tamar they've done it all it was redone remounted like four or five times we came out a bunch of us stayed a bunch of us left you know some people went back and some people hung out and, and stayed to see what was going to happen uh some people eventually left after a year or so but there was still a, a big chunk of us that decided to stay that were involved in that and uh that's kind of how I landed out here. When I got the call about coming down to San Diego to audition or to see and then audition for Triple Special, I was already living here for two years or so. But I still had a lot of Minneapolis connections. I was doing a lot of voice work still out of Minneapolis. Occasionally, I would get called to do on-camera stuff there. You know, I did a couple pilots. At, you know, so I still kind of had this tether going on. You know, and uh, so that's so I kind of started working on it. Uh, I went down in in '98 and you know, auditioned and talked to them and they hired me and I had to like, a, you know, did like about eight months. And that was a good thing because at the time, you know, I came to, to Los Angeles right away. I got a commercialization because I'd done so many commercials in Minneapolis because it used to be a kind of a booming town for that. And I'd done several movies too, you know, The Stranger Within and, you know, uh, just catch me if you can, catch me if you can, and drop dead, Fred. drop dead Fred, you know, that kind of stuff. And that was a, a lot of fun, but I, I, Initially, had a little trouble getting a theatrical agent out here, uh, but I didn't have any trouble booking commercials, and eventually did get one. You know, uh, and a year and a half later, and then things started picking up, and then eventually did. You know, I've been working ever since. But yeah, that little hiatus to go do that show in San Diego was a good thing because I was like just breaking up with my girlfriend, and you know, I I just dumped my place here, moved there. They were putting us up. They were paying us. I've never been paid that well for theater in my life, I and mean, it was just like fantastic, <laughs> you know. And well, so it was a great, great the show itself because it you did a lot. You sang, you danced, did all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, so and there's only three guys in it, so you're on stage 85 percent of the time. Right now, yeah. <clears throat> did you consider yourself a good singer before you did that? Or? Yeah, I was a trained singer. I mean, I was a trained. You know, I I grew up not growing I, I was a trained tenor at that point and still and still think of myself as that way although i haven't really taken a voice lesson for a long time um so at the time i was definitely prepared to do that role the one thing that they did do is you know they, they didn't none of the guys except for the original guy played the piano so they had digital tracks that they cued when you sat at the piano and they had rotated the piano so people couldn't see your hands and people really believed that you were playing the piano. You, there was even a request section in the second act where you could ask the audience for requests from the 70s and you had about 18 choices and people inevitably picked people on your list so you could, you know, call out Elton John and that song would start, you know, okay. from the booth, you know, oh, and wow. they thought you were playing, you know. I thought you were playing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just... You know, and I had a piano teacher come up to me <laughs> 
because we always say goodbye in the in the lobby, you know. Right. And this piano teacher comes up to me. And she's an old woman. She's like eighty five years old. She goes, "I have to tell you, I think you're one of the most wonderful piano players I've ever seen." And I looked at her and I said, "Were you looking at you, my feet? Did you see my pedaling work? You know, because that's the one that you could see." I was like, "Come on, lady. I mean, I I don't know what I'm doing up there. <laughs> I'm pumping these pedals inappropriately. You know, that's the best. That's <laughs> illusion. People you know, love it. I mean, once they believe it, they believe it. You know. So now, so after that ended. Did you leave when did you leave because you wanted to go or was it? No, and I, I, you know, I had, I was tired of, of, I was in the, had done a long, like, you know, I think I did like seven months and I, and I had a lot of fun. It was a great show. I met, met my second cousin there for the first time. I was doing the show with this guy, Scott Servine, who is from the magic world primarily. And now he's a filmmaker and we didn't, we didn't know each other from Adam. And, uh, we had a break a couple days for Thanksgiving. I went home with him. We, you know, hung out at his folks place up in Mariposa and his mom, the morning we're leaving goes blah 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 Spalding, and I go oh Spalding that's weird that's my mom's maiden name, you know my grandpa Wesley lives out in Palm Springs and she goes Wes, and it turns out I was second cousins with this guy and didn't even know it that's that I was crazy. doing this show with and we had come from completely different directions you know, so anyway to answer your question yeah I I left came back to L A because I was sort of and I I continued to do the show off and I like I did it in Dublin Ireland for like ten weeks a couple years later and. They would call you and say, you want to do a couple weeks here? Do you want to do a week here? you want to do a month here? Blah, 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 you know. Um, but I just wanted to get back to L.A. I was ready to get back and really get things going with the film and, and the TV stuff. So. so when you come back to L.A. and you've been working and, you know, it was you said you were getting good pay and then yeah. you know, you've been doing some commercials. How did you start concentrating on just following the 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 acting aspect not not stage but like you wanted to pursue tv and movies yeah well what i did is i really started uh working on making more connections and trying to really get a a really good agent and i also started studying with a woman jocelyn jones who was a uh you know i'd 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 taken classes before as any good actor should and i was doing improv and i worked you know i just i've done some stuff at second city and stuff like that you know and i've over the years i've done been in different improv improv groups but i took this class and that was kind of a pivotal thing for me because she was the best teacher i think i'd ever had in any subject ever you know and uh that really you know got my got me off my ass you know really administrating and trying to make things happen and i just started booking stuff you know i started booking tv shows and and i you know i booked the changeling and then i booked you know, I uh, did some. I've worked with the Coen Brothers, and I did the middle as a recurring for you know three, four years, and uh, just you know the the great the guest starring on Grey's Anatomy, NCIS, the you know like just kind of things just started to barrel roll, and then I did this recently a few years ago. I did a movie called Coffee Kill Boss with Eddie Jameson and and Chris Wilde and Zibby Lou and a bunch of other fun actors, and that just went great and that was probably the it was a major film role for me and it's you know you can get it on itunes and amazon and stuff like that but uh so you know i've done some indies but i also work i mean working with the cone brothers was probably one of the highlights and then doing fargo was really yeah, i want to talk about fargo because yeah. i love that show and yeah now how did the cone brothers become a part because i mean i just i look at your resume you know how i met your mother and you did some different stuff yeah. what kind of roles were you getting called out for earlier in when you first started because you it seems like you've had a mix of drama and comedy I have, and your yeah. background i mean you know you're also a, a song and dance guy you mm-hmm. know so i mean what were some of the roles in the beginning when you started getting out more what were you getting called for what kind of role because you are blonde you are blue-eyed you do have the yeah. midwest look well you know i i've always gotten like a mix of of drama and, and comedy like you said you know and uh initially i was reading for you know uh like i did just shoot me that was the very first kind of really funny part that i got here and working with david spade and it was a great scene you know and then i did malcolm in the in the middle and it was one of the emmy episodes it's the bowling episode with with uh you know um, not, why am i rem- why am i forgetting the breaking bad guy's name brian cranston, brian cranston. <laughs> you know and and then but then i went on to do angel which was a dramatic thing but there's always sort of a sense of draw like i get cast the dramatic roles i get cast in a lot of the time have a sort of level of dramedy to them it's usually a char- a character that they need a little bit m- more comedy you know but it's but it it happens to be a drama you know except for maybe like the unit or something like that but uh initially i mean you know i was reading for you know, policemen, military guys, but a lot of dorks, a lot of guys who were self-important, who thought they were 
you know, more important than they were, but really idiots. And that kind of was right up my alley. Uh, guys who were kind of desperate for attention or for love. You know, I got a lot of those are the kinds of castings I would get all the time, you know. So what uh you know. how was it though when you came across from after doing stage for those seven months? As I said, because that show you you guys busted ass. I mean you were eighty five percent. It must have been um, so much of a relief going into like a TV set doing a guest box. You're like, wait a second, I just did because I know I think some yeah. days you did two shows. And, well, I mean, we had eight shows a week down in and San Diego. You, and people, you don't know. Yeah. I mean, these guys they sang, they danced. I mean, I think you even spun plates. I mean, I, I, there's a. I mean, did you guys spin plates? Well, there was. It was the show was like a, I refer to it as New Vaudeville. The show was a play, but there was no fourth wall. You're talking to the audience the whole time, and then inside of the show there were three or four variety acts. And each guy had a variety act, and one of the guys had two variety acts. And so it's sort of these story of these three comic guys who they they end up reliving their failed past in front of the audience for two hours, basically. And so yeah, there was it, it, it was quite a different animal. And going into like an audition room here, you know, there was, there was quite a shift in gear, and that's why the, some of the stuff I was really working on at the time, because you know, you're on a stage and you're trying to project out to people. 400, 500, 600 people, and it's a different way of communicating than it is when you're in front of a camera, and you right. have to be very aware of what 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 that is, you know. So yeah, it was quite a it was quite a different experience. I, it took some adjusting, and I think that I think there were some roles I didn't get because I was still working on accomplishing that, you know. But um, you know, in general, I think I you know I I started to have more and more success and. You know, turned out it's it's turned out well so far. <laughs> yeah, very well. So. Now, now, as as you were uh, starting to book parts, were you also going out for commercials, and were you booking? Because you've been in a lot of commercials. Yeah, I was. I'm. I've always done both tracks. I've always, you know, I, I have my eight. My commercial agent is one of the top five on on the planet, and and they. I've been with them since nineteen, you know, ninety six, and uh, Kazarian Measures and so uh, Ruskin Associates, and they're terrific, you know, and um. And so I've always done that, and that's been a real bread and butter part of my life. You know, I mean, we, you know, we bought I, we bought a house here in North Hollywood in, in 2000, and then we moved from there to you know moved around a little bit, and then we rented for a while. And then we we have this house in Silver Lake, and I feel I sort of consider myself like a journeyman actor here in town. Like people walk, they people come up and talk to me, and they know who you are, but they're sort of like. Are you the guy from blah blah blah? You know, so you're not you're not you're not famous, but but people recognize you wherever you go, and they're always thinking, I think I know who that is. Well, you I know? remember you from uh yeah. from Triple Espresso. Yeah, yeah, sure, cool. yeah. Now, now, what were some of your earlier commercials that you started getting? Oh, geez, you know, I I did a Lynx golf commercial like back in the day of Fargo. You know, when Fargo was huge, and like when I came out here, Fargo was still kind of a thing. You know. Uh, the original movie part, right? You know, and so I was doing a lot of commercials where they were asking me to do the Minnesota accent. You know, geez, you reamed it. You know, just talking like this. You know, they wanted. I was doing a lot of that for voice work too, a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. But a lot of, you know, I was doing car commercials. I was doing, you know, pharmaceuticals. I was doing everything. You know, and I I had a Toyota campaign for a while. I had, you know, I've had this progressive campaign for about five years. Yeah, I want to talk to that folks. You know, that's just. And, uh, you know, so it's just been a great, I mean, you know, my wife and I have a place back in St. Paul, a loft in St. Paul that we rent out most of the year, but we stay in it quite a bit, you know, and uh, so we still have this Minnesota connection because we have family back there and, you know, her, her family's cabin is in Wisconsin. It's just the, the typical, you know, Midwestern right. <laughs> kind of experience, you know, going back to the lake, going up, doing some water skiing, you know, then come back to LA and doing the LA thing, you know? So, yeah, it's. That's it's you know, but it's commercially is it's always just kind of I've always kind of moved for I had a couple of tough years there uh, between my uh, 30s and 40s, and my agent kept saying it's okay, it's okay, you're just transitioning. They don't know where to put you. You're not young enough to be this, and you're not old enough to be that, and blah blah. But and it did, it changed and went back to you know, going like it like it had gone before. So now when you go back to St. Paul, do you guys like what do you guys do? You go to shows? Do you go? I mean, because it's like. Because there's so not much. No. I mean, because I mean, I mean, it yeah. sounds, you know, it sounds when, you know, because growing up back east, it sounds so city living. Like, yeah, we're going to the loft. And because St. Paul yeah, is yeah. a cool city, but I always think, like, do you guys, or do you guys just go and hang out? Like, or do you sit there and say, oh, you know, there's. Well, we go back and we see, like, we just, we see our families. And we, like, you know, my sisters and their kids, you know, my, my nieces and their kids, you know, Michelle's sisters. 
we go to the we go up to the lake. You know, we we our neighborhood where we have our loft is a really cool neighborhood in Lower Town, St. Paul. It's an artist neighborhood. There's right across the street is a is a Triple A baseball uh, stadium they just built, which is fantastic. The Saints. Uh, Bill Murray owns half of the Saints. You know, and it's just this great area. There's a there's parks right downtown. You know, and uh, we we really like in the summer. It's it's not you know bitter cold. You know, and we try to go once in the summer and usually around Christmas time if we can. You know. If we can get away and when we can get in there too because a lot of times we have renters in there but most of the time the renters will let us come and they'll be off to connecticut for christmas or whatever you know but it's a great town i mean in that area where we are used to be really struggling and trying to find its way and now it's exploded again like everything else in minneapolis st paul with you know theaters and restaurants and all kinds of stuff so that's basically what we do you know we have a couple of friends we always see every time we go back and... now you were an episode of Mad Men. yeah Okay, now what was that like? Because everyone says that's like a, just a different. It's a very secretive. Like when you get the script, it's very secretive. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty private. <laughs> it was pretty isolating. I mean, I mean, it was not isolated. That's the wrong word. It was just, uh, you know, they were very protective of what they were doing, you know. And there's actually a couple of guys from the Midwest. There's a, one guy from Minnesota who was at the the guy that played Peter, I think, the thin guy. He's yeah, he's he was on in the Children's Theater in Minneapolis and stuff like that. And another guy who actually went to prom with the with my friend Dana Farner's sister it's like it's such a weird small it's just you know but they it, yeah that was really really interesting it was a, it was a it was a great couple of days and there's a real there was a real aura about it like you know when you went to the table read there was this real you know John Ham walks in the room and he's not even trying to make everybody shut up and everybody just shuts up you know okay so he's got that yeah he's got just that gravitas you know and uh, I think they knew they had something really special, you know, of course they did, you know, and it, I mean, stylistically, I mean, you, you don't, you know, having the opportunity to wear those clothes and that be in that kind of environment, it was really How fun. did they do that? Cause did they sit there and go, okay, I mean, they say, okay, here's your character. And did you get a choice or did wardrobe just come in? And it's, and I've heard like, I had, I had a guest on who was in a uh, boardwalk empire. Yeah. He was uh, on for like eight, two, two seasons. And he said it was great. But what they did was they sat there and they gave you the authentic, mobster clothing well that includes sure. uh the uh the as we call it the wife beater shirt and then the shirt and the thick tweeds you know this and he said we're shooting in in uh not Staten island at one of the rockaway beach or one of them in the summer mm-hmm. and it's supposed to look like winter and he goes it's like that 95 percent humidity and you were just pouring weight was pouring off for mammoth did they actually give you the the traditional garb like it was like like the the that that year like was it old oh vintage? yeah everything was perfect i mean perfect you know that i i knew a guy my friend morgan it, uh, is an actor but he also is a carpenter at the studios and he was talking about how he worked on Mad Men building things and they were and carpenters in the studios refer to things uh, they refer to uh shows sometimes like that's a quarter of an inch show well that's an eighth of an inch show that's a half inch show which means how close do they have to be in making it authentic and okay. tight and perfect and, you know, all the trim and everything is exactly, you know, and that was one of those shows where it was, everything was e- exactly, you know, the way it was, you know, and down to praise, almost down to the underwear, <laughs> you know, that was my experience anyway. You know, I, I only worked on it for, you know, a little bit there, but, uh, but I thought that was, it was pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Now, was that a big audition process for you? Uh, I, I, I think I got seen twice for that part. Was it, was it twice or, yeah, I mean, I went to an initial audition and then I went to, you know, a callback like, like these so often do. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that big of a part, but it was a fun part, you know? And, uh, you know, I get like, just like in, uh, in uh, a serious man, I, I, sometimes I tend to get, uh, roles of, uh, you know, I tend to be the racist. I tend to be like <laughs> a serious man the is, uh, the Coen brothers movie. Yeah. Okay. Now it's funny cause Fred Melamed was just on a few weeks ago and he played the, uh, like a, 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 I don't know if he's a rabbi, but he's also a pedophile. Yeah, he was. Or... He's the no. He was the 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 new. He was the affair of the like the 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 main character on that. His wife is having a relationship with another man, and Fred played that man. And Fred is one of my favorite act. I mean, that guy is so good and so great. And even at the table read for that, I was laughing. I, mean, I thought he was just fantastic, you know. And he just had developed this. You know, the way he was like, it's, this is good wine, Barry. This isn't a cheap wine. This is fine wine. You know, and he just had this whole fantastic character already 
there, you know, completely. Yeah, he's great. Now, how did that movie come about? Did, did they know because you were from Minnesota? Did they know of well, you? Well, it's or? weird because they, I, I, that was a weird story because uh, we were in sort of a, a transitional period. My family and I, like, having sold this place in North Hollywood and summer was coming and we'd stayed with some friends for a few months and we didn't want to buy right away and we were trying to decide where, they were, where we were going to live. And, and we said, hey, let's just go back to Minneapolis for the summer. We'll stay at the loft for like three months, you know, and then we'll come back, you know. And I went back and to, second day there, I went to my old agent just to say hello in Minneapolis. And I said, hey, Carol, just, you know, I wanted to say hi. And she goes, hey, glad you're here. You know, the Coen brothers are casting a movie here in town. Would you be interested in reading? And it's like, no, because there's a good Brady Bunch rerun on. No, right. of course I'd be interested in reading. You know? <laughs> now, were you a big, Coen, huge Coen Brothers Oh, fan? huge. And I had auditioned for Fargo, the original movie, and I was like third in line to get the role for, of the guy who drives out to the first murder with her. And she says, I'm not sure about your police work there, Ned, or whatever, you know. And I, I'd always wanted to work with them. I'd always thought they were fantastic. I think that movie is a masterpiece, and I think the series is a masterpiece too. Uh, so I was obviously really excited to get into that. But yeah, this, you know, I went, I read for, for the casting director in Minnesota, and she gave me that look, and she said, "I want you to come back and see the boys." And like five days later, I read for them, and I, uh, I actually took a risk and. I had a photograph of myself that I blew up eight by ten, and I, I've got the the red and black ear flap hats on that they wear in Minnesota with a huge, huge coat, and it's the middle of winter. I'd taken it about twenty years ago on Grand Avenue, and I'm leaning on this guy's big truck, and he's got uh, a Bambi plastic Bambi sculpture strapped to the grill of his truck with the eyeballs blacked out. Okay. And it's just this it's this plastic Bambi. It's about three feet high and he's just got it strapped and I'm just leaning on it like I've shot it basically. It's my kill. And I took that photo and I went to this audition and I stuck it in the back of my pants and I cut my hair in a flat top and I had hunting gear. I called around to friends because I didn't have anything like that in Minnesota. I don't have anything like that at all. And I said, who has like hunting jacket? Blah blah, blah. I gotta you know and so I go Wait, to this, this is for Fargo. This is to, this is no this is for Serious okay. Man because I play that neighbor, right. you know, and um, and so I went in to see the boys, uh, Joel and Ethan, and how I cool, walked. How cool is that that you can call oh the Cone Brothers God. the boys? Well, like, I, I shouldn't be calling them that. I, I should mean, I should be calling them the Cone. But how brothers. cool is that? Like when you go to an audition, you go, oh yeah, the boys. Like well, you boys. know what's funny? The You're reason like... I say the boys is that is that. Uh, is that the casting director said, well, I want you to come back and see the boys. I know. <laughs> so I felt like, oh, I'm going to say the but boys. But how cool is that, though? You think, you know, you know, know. being from Minnesota, you're sitting there and go, wait, wait, I'm actually going back where she calls them the boys. Yeah. So, so you... Well, I show up for this this callback with them, and, and every all of my old friends from Minneapolis, all the best actors in town are sitting there waiting to read for this part. And I've just... Like I'm like looking around the room, going, God, these guys are really good. These are guys from the Guthrie, and these are guys I've known for years. They're brilliant, you know. And I walked in, and the first thing you know, Ethan said to me is, "Geez, where's your gun?" Because I just looked like right. this a-hole neighbor, <laughs> you know. So I told myself, if it goes well, I'm gonna do this Columbo uh, bit. If it doesn't go well, I won't do the Columbo bit. So I, I I read. They're laughing. They're loving it. It's great. I feel really good. I'm thinking. I think this is my part. I think I'm gonna get this part. And they and they'd been they'd read in New York, L.A., Chicago, Minneapolis, you know. And again, I could be a local hire too, which I think was a big plus. And I read, and I and they're like, "Hey, thanks." And they're they're kind of walking me to the door, and I'm I'm thinking I'm being walked to the door by the Cone Brothers. You know, that's that's <laughs> that felt like a million oh, yeah, bucks totally. right there. You know, and I get to the door, and I go, "Oh, one more thing. I got a photo picture of boy I uh, shot this seven point buck a few years back. Just wanted to." And they're thinking, "Oh, he he is because he's a Minnesota boy, so he must have shot." And I show it in this picture and they you know ethan starts cracking up and joel just kind of goes hmm and they just looked at me with these smiles and i thought i i didn't make a mistake this this was a good move you know and uh left and it took a while to find out uh were you still in minnesota when i was you still out? in minnesota they booked it eventually i shot it they kind of kept pushing the days back you know i had to wait to shoot uh there was the dates kept moving so we kept we were staying there and uh, eventually, you know, they got to me and, uh, you know, it was a great few weeks and really fun. I mean, I had an incident, a funny incident. I had a, uh, a kid who played my son and they were hunting for him for a long time. And they really wanted a doppelganger son. And they really wanted the father son to really look alike, you know, and they were having trouble finding this kid. 
And I was hearing rumors that, you know, if they can't find this kid, they might move to maybe move to the second choice because they really got it. They really want the kid to look like. And they finally, my old agent finds an old client of hers in, from Wisconsin, she remembers, who used to live in the cities. You know, she brings this kid and her parents and they, they cast this kid. But this fantastic kid, great kid, but he has Asperger's. And so he's kind of a peculiar kid, but he's a great kid. He's 12 years old, but he's like he's seven. Does he know? look like you? He looks just like me. Okay. My spitting image, you know. And so, you know, we we go to the table read, and Ethan looks at me, and he says, have you met your son? Because I met him at the, <laughs> at the, you know, this wardrobe fitting. I was like, yeah. And he's just looking at me thinking, you've got your hands full. And I'm like, well, you, you guys don't worry about it. I'll be his father the whole time on set. I'll take care of it. You know, because the kid, they could tell that it was going to be difficult working with this kid, you know. And in the end, you know, we were shooting this scene, and we were on the 16th take, and I thought, am I screwing up here? Am I, am I just, do I suck? What's right. going on? How can we keep shooting this take over and over again, you know? And finally, Ethan pulls me aside, because I think he senses that I'm a little nervous as to what's going on. They've got this bus that they've got driving by, a, a Torah bus in the background they need to land, and the kid's getting out of the car, and I'm talking to him, and the kid's running off, and, and, uh. You know, in the meantime, before they were shooting this scene, the kid was obsessed with wondering if he was going to be working on the day when the neighbor was going to be laying on her uh, chair in the backyard with topless. And he kept asking, am I working that day? Am I, am I going to be here working that day? And they're like, I don't know. We just, you know, we'll have to check with the. <laughs> so, you know, he pulls me aside and he goes, listen, Pete, I've been in this business a long time and never be in a scene with a 12 year old kid who has Asperger's who keeps looking into the lens and a Torah bus that has to land at a certain spot at a certain time because nobody's paying any attention to you. You know, he had watched two takes of me, he said, and he, he watched me do two takes and he said, okay, he's fine. Now can we get this effing right. Torah bus to land? Why, why isn't the guy leaving what I'm telling him to? You know, so actors always think it's all about them. It had nothing to do with me. You know? What's well, funny, you know what's amazing though, and, and I hear this a lot in the show about just like different breaks or different things. Like, because you just said, you know, we're, we're selling our house. You went back to Minnesota. If you had not gone back to Minnesota, you would have never auditioned for that. Well, movie. I, I see. I got when I told my agents here that I had landed it from Minnesota, they were like, we're really happy for you. But we would have got you an audition here. And I said, well, maybe, maybe you I mean, but I think I think they would have because they're really good agents, you know. But I, if I was auditioning here, there would have been, you know, you know, 500 people chasing 50 slots to right. read. And in Minnesota, there's 60 people chasing 20 slots. You know what I mean? Uh, but again, I think my, I'm sure my agents would have got me a read here. But, uh, you know, I think there was just something about the serendipity of me walking to that office that day and them happening to be at that state in the audition process. And if you were here, you wouldn't have had all that hunting gear with the deer. Yeah, exactly. Who, Hello. Who, who has that stuff? Yeah, I'd have to go to REI and buy it all brand new. Exactly. Right? Now, now. <laughs> Because of that movie, is that how you got involved with Fargo, or how did that happen? Um, I yeah, partly because it's the same casting director. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it, yeah, I basically got I I've she's been very good to me, and uh, I I came in and read for uh, the series, and I read I actually read for Bob Odenkirk's part. Okay. Yeah, originally, and. Uh, thought I did quite well, you know, but I, I kind of thought it was a, a part that was the kind of part that's going to be offered to somebody who was a bit bigger than me, you know. And so then I came back and I read for Lieutenant Schmidt, and I think I just killed it, you know. And I heard later uh, from the producers that, you know, when I left the room, they just kind of looked at the writer, they looked at Noah, and they said, you know, well, he could do it. <laughs> you know, so I was pretty thrilled to get that. And that shot in Calgary, and uh, I worked with, you know, some of the best people I've ever worked I was, with. I was going to ask you, you know, you think of the actors that are in that show. Oh, I mean, just, just you know, I mean, Billy Bob Thornton, Oliver Platt, who is amazing. Yeah, just yeah. so many people. That must be great as an actor to sit there and just work with these. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton's like a master. That guy just, you know, I mean, yeah. someone, someone, John Polito was on the show and he said about, he worked with Billy Bob Thornton and he's like, how did you, you know, how did you put all that weight on for uh, Sling Blade? And he said, well, give me a second. He came back in like 20 seconds and his whole body had like transformed into that character I mean, mm -hmm. he just has like that kind of talent it must be uh, cool to meet those people and work with them it was amazing i mean that was i think that doing that series was so far like the most seminal moment of what i've done out here i just i learned so much watching you know so thank you rachel tenner for believing in me and bringing me back to see those fellows rachel's the casting director but um 
it, yeah, it was really incredible to work with him. It was incredible to work with Martin Freeman because he he's this English actor. I mean, I tease him two days. We had a dinner with everybody, you know, a couple days after I got there, and I looked at him. I said, you know, I got to be honest, Martin. You know, when I heard that you got cast in this, I thought, what, they had to go all the way to England to cast a guy to play a Minnesotan? They couldn't find an American to do, you know? And he laughed, and he said, oh, I absolutely agree with you. I could not agree with you more. When they sent me the email, I thought, I don't know why. This is a brilliant script. I, of course, want to do this, but I have no idea why you're choosing me, you know? But he was spot on perfect brilliant and billy bob is an amazing person to watch because he's so he has so much control and he communicates so much through so little you know he really is the personification of this notion that acting is really actually at its core very simple it's just very difficult to get to that simplicity in that simple direct communication that's going on and he is he is the perfect example of that and he's just i mean one of many people that were brilliant on that on that show but but definitely the person that i always would watch shoot i would always be there to watch his scenes being shot i would always be there to watch marty's scenes you know so now in was was it in the winter shot in calgary yep and so i mean you know well of course you're used to minnesota but i mean it must what what, when did it shoot well i mean we shot it shot uh uh, when did I shoot? I shot in in November, and then I shot in February. Um, I think, yeah. And uh, I was up there th- three times, I think. And it was cold every time, you know, especially in February. And they, you know, they were prepared, but like we shot this outdoor scene where we're we're breaking, we're raiding the house, basically that scene. And that was a that was a pretty cold day, you know. They had a lot of fake snow that they were using because you know they didn't they didn't have a lot of snow they didn't happen to have a lot of snow at that moment but and they used real Calgary police SWAT team guys to hit that house and you know it was it so yeah it was pretty cold but you know they had obviously they had us in a comfortable hotel right <laughs> you know and uh, the studios were you know completely suitable and great and the Canadian crew was really really terrific too they were fun to work with you know everybody I mean. Noah, the thing that people have to realize about that series is that Noah Hawley wrote that all completely himself. You know, this wasn't like a team of writers at a table, right? You know, he wrote every word of that thing, you know, and it just is, it's so incredibly good. I was always amazed. We we have parties in our front yard to watch the episodes as they came up because we have a projector, you know, and it was just it's, I'm forever impressed by everybody on that. Oh yeah, we we started watching it, you know, and just you know, yeah, we'll check it out. And then it was one of those things that just hooks you, and you're like, wow. Mm. And then of course, you know, the one guy's like, oh, I don't, you know, what guy I know is stuff in a bar. He's like, oh, I don't, you know, he may not have died. I go, the guy was in the lake. I mean, you know, about the the, the oh, him falling guy. through. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, whatever. Now, yeah. are you going to be back on the second season? Well, here's the thing about the second season is it's a completely different time period oh, God, it's okay. 1979 but there's a lot of the same characters but they're just younger you know so like for instance uh me and uh and uh Carradine's character keep referring to the the incident in sioux falls or i refer to it once and he refers to it a couple times and apparently he and i had worked together in in history in, as policemen before he started this diner right know? and um so basically this incident in sioux falls i think uh, is sort of the core of this prequel. Although at the time when we were shooting, we didn't know what Noah had in his head about that. I don't even know if he knew what was in his head about that. But uh, so yeah, so there's nobody from the first season in the second season, but there's lots of characters from the first okay. season in the second season, just younger. Like even Allison Tolman's character, she's in the first season, but she's five years old. Okay, you so know? that's just that's that's yeah, cool. Though, it's interesting. Yeah. Now now the middle. How did that, did that start off just as a one-on and then used to recur over the years? Well, they told me it was going to be a recurring because she has this. She had this job at the at the dealership, you know, and I was going to be the nemesis at the dealership, and so it ran until it ran on until she uh, got fired from the dealership in the story, <laughs> you know, which I found out when I went to the table read. So you didn't know, you didn't know like this was going to be, your, no, your... I, I didn't know it was going to be the last episode for me because the cast reader didn't mention it to me. And I just, I, when I read the script, I realized, Oh, this, this is it then. How okay. does that, I mean, cause you, it, like, how do you react to that? Cause I mean, it's one of those things, you know, if you get a rejection from something, you know, you get depressed. 
But uh, when you're at the table, Reed, yeah. and you've been on the show, and no one tells you, I mean, did you sit well, there? Well, no, you I, feel... I smiled, and, I mean, because I loved all those people, and they treated me very well. And, you know, especially I mean, Patty Heaton had been more, really wonderful to me. Uh, not that she was on the production side, but she obviously has a lot of, she didn't know that was going on until, you know, she's hot too. And, but, and, and those people were wonderful to me. Uh, I think it was just one of those things where maybe the cast members just forgot to tell my agent or I don't know what happened, but I, I, uh, in those situations, you just want to be as graceful as you can because these people are going to bring you back to do other things, you know, and, and, uh, there, you know, you don't, there's no reason to be unprofessional about your exit, you know? Uh, at one point, even they they talked. I mean, if, the next season they were going to have me. They had, I was slated to come back for this joke where she was going to accidentally drive to the dealership because she forgot she didn't work there anymore, and, and you know that that sort of panned out, but kind of didn't. And uh, so that was a that was a lot of fun, and that was on Warner Ranch too. And it was great working with um, uh, Murray. Uh, uh, why am I forgetting his first name? Uh, Bill Murray's brother. Joel. Yeah, Joel. Or not, not Joel. Uh, uh, oh, Brian Doyle. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray. Yeah, I mean he was a riot and had all kinds of funny stories in the past. And, you know, Chris Catan, and you know, it was it was a, that's a fun job. But Patty especially was particularly nice to me, and and we've sort of remained friends. You know, so. So now the progressive commercial. Mm-hmm. Now when that came about, did you know it would run for this long? And it's, no, it's when been... they cast us, for one thing, when when we got cast for that, it was supposed to just be one guy and not two. And then they cast two, and I didn't know who the other guy was at all. And we found two days before we were supposed to shoot, I found out it was Brad McDonald. And Brad and I were friends in Minnesota. And it might sound like that might happen all the time out here, but it almost never does. Like, you don't work, you don't get cast with people who are actual friends of yours very often, you know. Uh, I mean, it comes and goes. But, I mean, basically, this was one of those situations where, like, oh, my God, you know, we were like, giddy schoolgirls, let's drive to Long Beach together for the shoot. (laughs) Did you guys guys both audition for that part, same part, before they put you together? Well, yeah, there was this thing where it was going to be one role, and it was me, and then they were going to add Brad, and they cut Brad, and they brought Brad back in. And then, it, and then it was solidified to be two of us. And then they were really was only going to be one spot. And then people really liked it. And they just kept doing more and more. And now we've done, uh, I think, like 18 or something like that. Some were just, a few were just internet. We've done some goofy stuff where they had us do this exercise video for the Progressive uh, website, which was this hilarious, like 15 minutes of him and I stretching and then moving to a different stretch position. And it's it's like eerily silent and there we, there's a little bit of talking in between positions but that's about it and then it just ends in 15 minutes with this awkward thing you know so they've done a lot of kind of funny stuff with us you know and and uh they've had some really good ideas and they finally came around to do the the burton ernie spot which you know from the fourth spot in we were saying you should have them be roommates you know and they right. they live in, in this hovel and they have a red phone and they it never rings because nobody ever buys insurance from them you know except the only time it rings is when flow calls you know and uh, they finally you know a few few you know spots ago they did this burton or anywhere we're on bunk beds and you know it was silly but but that must mannequin. be that must be great i mean for you know an actor where you sit there and it's going to be one commercial and then it becomes and, yeah, and because that has been like major bread and butter for me for five years now. You know, that's that progressive's been you know half my income for like five years. You know, and the other half's you know film, TV stuff. But like you know, so it's it's um it's been quite a great gift. I feel pretty lucky about it. And there was a time when we thought it was going to go away, and it didn't. You know, and uh, but uh, yeah. So who knows how long? You know, all things must end. I don't know right. how long it's going to last, but um. Happy with what's happened so far. Well, people, we, we said people recognize you from different things, but mm-hmm. a lot of people must recognize you from that just because that's the main it's, thing. It's on, so it's on a lot, yeah. and it's on, you know, and they always know during sporting events what do they try to push? They try to push car insurance because mm-hmm. you know it's just that's what you do. We have a male audience, we push car insurance. I mean, have you been like? I mean, I've had I know people like who've been a Del Taco guy or stuff like that who people just you know. Would see him and go crazy. Have you, have you had any weirdos come up to you, or actually think you sell insurance? I've never... never had weirdos come up to me, but I always, ha- but I have a lot of people come up to me, and some people, like I've had people write to me and want headshots, and they think that my headshots are the progressive guy. <laughs> you know, 
you know, uh, but people are generally pretty nice, but it's, you know, I've, I've had a couple of funny things where they, they want a little bit more of your time than, than you want to give, but it's, you don't want to be the a-hole, you know, but right. it, it, I think the main thing that happens that I've heard, you know, I think I heard Michael McDowell talk about this, the whole thing of you, you want to be known for one thing, but you're known for another thing. And you're happy about that. You, right. you're, 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 I mean, it's, it's great that you're known as the progressive guy, but people come to you and say, I did it. You're the guy from progressive. And your first instinct, you go, didn't you see Fargo? Right. I've seen Fargo for like five episodes and did the guy, I was in the bath, I had a lot of bathroom scenes in Fargo. Did you see where I was in the toilet a lot? That was pretty good, right? I was, I mean, Colin Hanks and I, don't you remember? I didn't see that. Yeah. But those progressive ads are hilarious. It's like, okay, well, thanks. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get hooked up on anything free for those, like from being recognized and stuff like that? Oh, sometimes, yeah. I mean, every once in a while you get like give things in the mail and, and you, or people ask you to go. Like, Brad and I have been trying to get them to have us do live events for they a while. Should, like, like I... they, they had us booked for this live event in Florida, like the big progressive thing. And for some reason they changed it and we didn't end up going, you know. But we're like, you know, I, I'll, I'd go to sporting events as the progressive guys. <laughs> you know, that'd be fine well, with no, me. That'd be you know? great because I know a lot of those yeah. do that. You know, I had the guy, uh, Scott McDonald was on, who was one of those Bud Light women years sure. ago. And he said they were on, they went to the Olympics. They went to like yeah. five Super Bowls over the years. And, and you guys would be perfect because it's, oh. like, it's a buffoonery and that's what people want to see in a ball game. Yeah. And they want to they want to see two guys making fun of themselves, you know, and it's so much easier to be doing it to do it with somebody else instead of by yourself, you know, especially if it's characters you've already established that you just, that just play off of each other for, you know, this new spot they just started airing. Apparently somebody just told me yesterday is that when we were basically pimped out in this pimp mobile, this big pink Cadillac and with big furs. And we, you know, apparently stole the price gun and bought a bunch of stuff or something. We've been like, there's, there's a Hawk we're falconing, you know, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's now, been a lot of fun. And Flo is a great, Stephanie's a wonderful person too. She's great. She actually does improv still on Wednesday nights at Groundlings right. every Wednesday. And she's, she's hilarious. Now has that role, I think hindered any auditions for you? Cause people sit there and don't really know if you're going for, let's say a serious part, they sit there and go, well, do they think, cause it is such a big campaign. Yeah. Have, have you felt like you've encountered any of that? Uh, well, you know, lately I've, uh, I've read for a number of dramatic things lately, and I'm still out reading. Now, what I don't know, what I can never know, and what people won't tell you, is you get called in, and you get you go to see the producers or whatever, and you don't get it, and you don't know if there's a piece of that is like, you know, we see him all over the place as a progressive guy, or that doesn't matter, cast him. You know, you just don't. You don't know how often you don't get a job because of that. But I'm imagining that there might be some instances where I haven't gotten a job because of that commercially or, you know, TV and film related, you know. Uh, but but because I've been doing it for six years and because I've been busy doing film and TV for six years, too, it obviously hasn't brought everything to a screeching halt for me, you know, even though there might have been it might have been a barrier. But that's that's a room and a conversation that I am not privy to. Right. <laughs> now, what do you so. have coming up? Is it the reveal is that up already? I, I, I'm looking yeah, I'm doing this web series called The Reveal with John uh, Lacey, and he's creator. And I've just I did, did one. I might be doing another one soon. I've got I'm waiting for some news on something that's uh, of kind of a big thing, and I'm not at liberty to say. But uh, it's it's really going to be very exciting. It would shoot in London, you know. And that would great. be a lot of fun. Um, and I was kind of waiting to hear, because I was told that I would be hearing about that in the next couple of days or an offer for that. But, how, does, you know, how, how, does, how do you handle that? Like, like, is it like Christmas Eve when you're a kid? Like, You know, it, initially you're excited. Like, wow, this is, oh my God, I want to do that. That would be so great. You know, like when I got the news about, uh, you know, working with the Coen brothers and I had to wait for a long time to finally get the booking. It was, I just was waiting and waiting, you know, and for Fargo, it took them seven weeks to call me to, to confirm it because they've got a lot of things on their plate They're, You know, they, they've got burners going everywhere and you're not as important to just like, they're waiting to make all these other decisions before they finally land on you. Or they're just sitting going, you know, he can, he can wait to get an ax answer, you know? So you don't hear for a long time. So you kind of really kind of have to let it go to a certain degree. And also things always change. Like, you know, I, I, like I told you, I, I'm waiting to hear about this thing. Well, I, a few days may go by and I may get a call from an agent saying, you know what, they, it, was, it was all you right to the last second. And then something, they cast this person over here and then all of a sudden that changed the chemistry and they moved, you know. 
So I don't, I don't, uh, I get really excited for things that are going to be, that are going to really like working with, you know, Clint Eastwood on the changing or whatever, you know, or again, doing like Fargo. I've done a couple of pilots I was really excited about, but, and I'm sort of like waiting for the phone call to come in. But most of the time I hear, I'm like, that's great. And then I hang the phone up. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go work on my deck, you know, or I'm going to go take my kid to school or I'm going to go. Like yesterday, we just bought a new 77 VW camper. My wife and I, our, our old one burned a year ago on the five on the grapevine, burned in an inferno. How did it get fire? Well, we, we were driving up after a perfect vacation of a week, a gorgeous, you know, big sir, all this stuff. And we're coming up the grapevine, and all of a sudden smoke starts coming through. And I think maybe a fuel, an old fuel line missed it on the manifold or something like that, because one of the lines that I couldn't, I didn't manage to be able to replace. I'm kind of a bus geek, so I've, I've, I've had like four of them, you know. And I will replace, I will like fix stuff and, you know, modify it. And I might have missed one of the lines and it just caught fire and I couldn't put it out with this extinguisher. The extinguisher wouldn't go off. And I, we pulled a few things out. My wife walked up the, up the, up the grapevine, 12 midnight with Jack, about 150 yards away. I'm trying to put it out. I finally put it in park, pull the emergency brake turn the wheel so it doesn't roll out into the traffic as a fireball. And I started walking away. And as I'm walking away, it was like a movie. I just, I'm 50 feet from it. And all of a sudden it just goes, like, wow. <laughs> you know? And, you know, we were pretty sad because that was green Janine. She was our, she was our baby, but we got a new one yesterday, a yellow one. We're going to name her Chiquita. You're going to be camping. You're going to a little camping. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. Camping. I, I love, uh, my, my wife likes to glamp. So we have the bus, but I love the bus anyway. So. And I go to the BWCA too, which is Boundary Waters Canoe Area, which is another with some old, with some Minnesota buddies, and we go fishing up there, and that's really isolated. You're just out in the middle of nowhere, and that's one of the things I've always loved to do. You know that and like carpentry, and you know I've renovated houses of my own. You are a Minnesota built. guy. Yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, uh, so, uh, any other auditions coming up soon, or any? I mean, I see your project. What's uh, what's Mick? Well, I, I just like this the, in December. I did. A, I produced a play called Almost Maine. It had a lot of great people in it. That was at the 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 um, the Hudson Theater. So I, I have my own production company, Pumpkin Eater Productions. So I have different projects, kind of with different levels of burners on. You know. Um, I'm working with this guy now on a script, a, a, like a, an art uh, caper, I would call it, uh, forgery, art forgery caper. Uh, but as far as what's coming up, I'm waiting to hear about this project, and I'm kind of helping my wife with her new business called Treehouse. And, and what is that? Uh, Treehouse, she has a, a brick-and-mortar place in Atwater Village. Uh, it's T R E E H A U S. It's this great boutique. It's got you know clothes and jewelry and housewares and, and gifts and cards and funky stuff and it's all she's her and her business partner and they have great taste and it's really fun stuff you know kind of mid-mod flavored and uh her business is doing great and we had to build it out and you know so i've kind of my, my wife has sort of been supporting me in my dream for you know years you know years you know 10 15 years so it's sort of my turn to kind of help her out too so so I've been still managing to do my thing, but I've sort of put some emphasis into getting her rolling. And now she's, you know, her, her place is pretty well established over there. It's been about close to a year now, and they're doing great. They just moved to a new location about five five months ago. And, cool. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was, yeah. it was fun. It was, uh, yeah. Now, do you tweet or anything? Or can yeah, you... I, yeah, I'm on Twitter. What, what's yeah, Twitter? it's Brightman, B-R-I-G, at Brightman, Bright, like B-R-I-G-H-T-M-A-N. That's kind Do you of my tweet mind. a lot? Do you tweet a lot? Not very often. I treat you know, tweet like you know once a week maybe. Yeah, well, you gotta tweet you know. more. People I'll probably tweet. I should tweet more. So people You're follow right. him on Twitter and uh, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot actually. I, I try to put some funny stuff up there and uh, also go to my website CooperTalk.net. I have I got I think like 390 episodes up there. So go there and you can email me Cooper at CooperTalk.net and I always respond. And you can ask me what guest you might want to get. If you say George Clooney, that's not going to happen. But you can try that. And uh, if you want to follow me on, uh, as I said, also iTunes and Stitch, if you want to listen that way on your tablet, go there. Type in Cooper Talk one word. All my shows go to iTunes and Stitcher after I put them on my website. And also go to StopTheSalt.com. StopTheSalt.com, my website. Remember when I got out of the hospital with my heart problem, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 easy recipes. Low-sodium cooking for one without killing yourself. No pictures to intimidate you. A nice key up front on how much you should serve. And also, there's no crazy ingredients. So you won't need cumin. You don't have cumin, don't worry about it. 
But buy it from my website. If you go to my website, stopassault.com, I'll sign it for you, and I make more money. But it's you can get it on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble too. But go through me. So once again, follow Peter. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you. And guys thank next you, week. Steve.